I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 17. For ye were sometimes darkness, but not, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, in righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfaithful workers of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. can remember as a young man my father always telling me and reminding me he would say live like you know from where you came he wanted me to remember who I was who he was and my behavior should always reflect that after all we had the same name people knew who my father was they connected me to him and that's something that's important isn't it I think Christians need to understand that same thing We carry the same name. And our behavior reflects on our Lord. And we ought to live like we know from where we came. I think that's a prominent message in the Bible. Christ's people are to remember from where they came. Once we get to the point in life where we have obeyed the gospel, we have submitted to Christ, we ought to remember who we are. That's a theme that is from the beginning to the end. No matter what the dispensation, God's people were always to remember who they were. Adam and Eve were to remember who they were. Cain slipped up along the way, and it doesn't seem, as uh, reading through the Scripture, that he ever changed his ways. We read on down through, and we find that Noah remembered who he was, and he lived like he knew from where he came, and the rest of the world had forgotten we go on into the uh, the time period when uh, the law of Moses was in effect and Saul started out when he was humble in his own sight, God said, and then he forgot from where he came and he ended up dying apart from God. We see David made some terrible mistakes, but he remembered from where he came and he came back to God. Solomon did the same thing. We get over into the New Testament and we see people who who forgot from where they came. Demas forgot that he was a Christian and he failed to live that way. Judas failed to live like he knew from where he came. Peter, on the other hand, he made some mistakes, didn't he? But he remembered from where he came and he repented and he came back. The title of the sermon this morning is Live Like You Know From Where You Came. And with that in mind, I think Ephesians chapter 5 is all about change. It's all about being what you ought to be when you ought to be that, right? Paul's message is Christians are to be different from those who are worldly. 
In fact, Christians are different, aren't they? Christians are supposed to be different. We're supposed to be separate uh, from the world in our behavior and in our actions. We can't separate ourselves physically from the world, but we are to stand out in the world as someone who lives differently, someone who believes differently, someone who behaves differently. And I think the truth is followers of Jesus are different from those who have not given themselves to Christ because that subjection is missing. Paul said, if you're living in sin, change. He said, if you've become unfaithful, change. If you're a wife and you're not in subjection to your husband as the Lord was in subjection, change. If you're a husband and you do not love your wife the way Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it, He says, change. Don't forget from where you came. And I think He's telling the Ephesians to remember that and live that way. Don't just acknowledge it. Live that way. When I was a young man, I knew from where I came. But it wasn't enough just to know. I had to behave like I knew that, or I knew there would be a problem later on. As we consider the chapter as a whole, Ephesians chapter 5, that truth, I think, is demonstrated in Paul's correspondence to the church in Ephesus. He's writing to Christians, and he is admonishing those Christians to maintain their purity in Christ. As we look at Ephesians 5, verse 1 commands us to live like God. Verse 2 commands us to love like God. First, uh, verses 3 through 7 commands us to leave the lifestyle of sin and the things that it would cause us to do. That's his whole point, isn't it? You were once like that. Don't go back to it. Change. If you've gone back to it, change and come back to God. Remember from where you came. I think beginning with verse 8, Paul explained why we are to be different. Now, I think that's important for us to hear. I think we need to hear that and we need to apply it to our lives as we live in a place that is worldly-minded. It is so easy to get caught up in the problems of this life and the temptations of this life, and we simply forget who we are. But we shouldn't do that, because remember, we're just passing through. We're not going to be here eternally. We're not here permanently. We're here for a very short period of time. And we have a very short period of time to recognize who we are and to demonstrate that to those around us and to God. I think when we understand that we're just strangers and pilgrims, 1 Peter 2 verse 11, that we get that sense. Let's read what Peter said there. 1 Peter 2 verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. There was a time when all people were or are citizens of this world in the spiritual sense, right? We thought like the world, we lived like the world, we behaved like the world. And God expects us to change that. And that's what Ephesians 5 is about. But when we are saved by grace and faith through obedience... Things do change in our lives, don't they? We become citizens of God's kingdom. And it was at that point in everyone's life who obeyed the gospel where Paul made this statement, Colossians 1.13. He said, 
speaking of God, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. What a wonderful statement to know that that God has cared for us enough to translate us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, which is the kingdom of His dear Son. But, just because one has been delivered from darkness doesn't mean that the temptations end. Satan doesn't say, okay, someone obeyed the gospel, no longer are they interested in living like I want them to live, so I'm just going to move on to someone else. No, it is the Christian on whom he focuses. He has the rest of the world. He's not concerned with people who don't believe in God. He's not concerned with people who live like they don't believe in God. He's concerned with those who are New Testament Christians, and he wants them back in the world because he wants to hurt God. The only way Satan can hurt God is by hurting us and causing us to lose our souls. There's pressure from people in the world to draw us back. There's pressure even at times from people who claim Christ's name to draw us back. A lot of the time that is a result of a guilty conscience on their part. They want other people to participate in the things in which they participate. And that pressure is always there. Peer pressure really never leaves. But there is also encouragement from God. And we read this encouragement in Ephesians chapter 5. And those who faithfully follow Him will be an encouragement to each of us who strive to gain favor to God. In commanding us to leave behind the world, Paul said we were to reject sin. He says, Be not therefore partakers with them. Within the darkness of sin, God has delivered us from sin. And He's brought us into the light. But we have to maintain that. We have to make that decision and that choice to continually walk in the light. And if we're going to live like we know from where we came, we have to remember some things. God changed us by His light. Now that's the first thing that we're going to talk about this morning. God changed us by His light. He changed us from what we were, right? We were something, and then we became something else. When I have a Bible study with someone, I always talk to them about at what point did you become a Christian? Because there is a period of time, there is a moment in time where one says, okay, I want to obey the gospel, and then that happens. It's not a progress over time. You're not almost saved or half saved, a little saved, right? You're either saved or you're not saved. And so there's a point in time where a person obeys the gospel. Now that process, that process of getting to that point may take some time, right? We begin to study the Bible and we have to study and understand some things before we come to the understanding that Jesus is who He said He was. So we have to start with the Word of God, don't we? We begin with the Bible. We've been studying on Sunday morning about the restoration movement and the fact that these restoration movers wanted to go back to the Bible. So we go see what the Bible says. And that's what Paul said. Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Well, through that study over a period of time, and it's different for different people, we begin to believe on Jesus, John eight twenty four. We understand that He brought a message. And that message is to change the lives of people. And before we can change, we have to repent, right? That's the whole point and part of changing. Paul said, Godly sorrow leadeth one 
to repentance. Being sorry for something and repenting are two different things. We can be sorry, even have godly sorrow, and still not repent. But see, godly sorrow leads us to repentance. It's necessary to be godly, to have godly sorrow, but then we have to repent. Acts 2.38, Acts 3.19, Acts 17.30 and 31. Repentance is absolutely necessary. Understanding that we want to change our lives through this process, we understand that it is necessary to confess Christ before other people. And that's what Paul was talking about in Romans 10, 9 and 10. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now unto salvation isn't in salvation. It's unto salvation. That's where confession takes us, right? And when we get over in Acts chapter 8, Verse 37, culminating in Philip studying with the eunuch, they come to a certain body of water, and he says, See, here's water. What hindereth me from being baptized? Philip looks at him, and he says, Well, if thou believest, thou mayest. He said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and Philip baptized him. He went on his way rejoicing. Because that's the next step, right? Immersion in water so our sins can be washed away. Now that's a process of time getting to that point. But once we are baptized into Christ, Galatians 3, 26 and 27, we come into contact with His blood spiritually, Romans 6, 3 and 4, we rise up a new creature. And that happens in a moment of time. So there is a period of time when we go from what we were to what we are. Right? Fortunately, for those who obey the gospel, we become what we can be. So we go from what we were to what we are. Paul said we're now light in the Lord, Ephesians 5 eight. Isn't that wonderful to know that now we are living for God and we're a light in the world? Has electricity ever gone off at your home? We had a water outage here not too awfully long ago, but... Has electricity ever gone off? A storm come through? Someone run over an uh, electric pole or whatever the case may be and you're stumbling around, you're trying to find that flashlight and, and uh, ultimately the batteries are never charged and, and you can't see. And Isn't it nice to have a light in the darkness? It's nice to have a light in the darkness. Have you ever had to go outside at night? I remember one night Nicole woke me up and she said, sounds like someone's trying to get in the back door. Well, unfortunately, the back door is right on my side of the bed. And so I said, surely not. She said, yeah, I've been listening to it for a while. So I have to get out. Fortunately, for Christmas, I got this really nice light that my one of my sons-in-law gave me. It just lights up the world. And so I sneak out the other door. I come around. It's completely dark. I'm a little nervous because I don't know what's out there. And I turn on the light. You know how nice it is to have a light. Especially when your light's shining on a chicken and not someone trying to break into your house. See, we're a light to the world. That's what Christians are. So now, we're not what we were, we're what we are. And because of that change, Peter wrote, 1 Peter 2 verse 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Paul reminded the reader, God changed him 
in verses 8 and 9 of our text. Isn't that wonderful? And then Paul goes on to speak about the character of those people who were changed. That's our second point. Paul said godly character would be seen in three manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit. And the first is goodness. People ought to see goodness in the character of those who are changed. Goodness is virtue. Goodness is godliness in motive. Goodness is godliness in thought. Goodness is godliness in action. And that's a characteristic we ought to display, right? It is the quality of goodness. And it can be identified in the way we treat other people. It's how we treat God. It's how we treat our fellow man. It's how we treat our brethren. We ought to have goodness. And when we practice goodness, we're walking in the light. Those who have obeyed the gospel. And we're walking in love. And that's absolutely necessary. And it'll be seen by those around us, won't it? Absolutely, of course it is. Isn't it nice when you see someone treating another person nice? It's a shame, I think, in this world when you see someone and they're treating maybe even someone they don't know in such a way that it is in the headlines now. I was reading in the news, uh, someone somewhere was, uh, a fast food worker was being kind to someone in the restaurant that they didn't know and that made the headlines. Well, I'm glad that they were treating them that way, but isn't it sad when treating your fellow man with goodness that it makes the headlines? Well, there's a problem, isn't there? So we don't want that problem. We want that goodness as a character quality. We treat others in the same way God treats us. Isn't it nice to know that God has forgiven us of the sins? He showed goodness toward us. Second, it will be seen in, excuse me, righteousness. Now that is a reference to our standing with God, right? Goodness is a reference to how we treat each other. Righteousness is our relationship with God. When He saved us, He declared the Christian righteous. Can we work our way to heaven? There are not enough good works in this life to ever get us to heaven. But when we work the works of God and we obey the gospel and we are faithful and we show goodness to one another and we show righteousness to God, He has declared us righteous. That means He's took away the guilt. He's took away the shame. I think, can we look back in our lives and and become embarrassed even within ourselves of some of the things that we've done? Well, sure we can. Sure we can. It can be heartbreaking, can't it? But He took that away. He made us holy in His sight if we demonstrate righteousness as a character of those who are changed. Righteousness makes a distinction between the behavior of the worldly and the behavior of the godly. And that's what God expects. Third, the manifestation can seen in the character of the changed in truth. Paul intended here honesty, reliability, trustworthiness. Not the truth of the worldly. Oh, they have all kinds of truths. Truth is how you perceive it, right? Truth is is uh, something for you may be different for me. That's how the world views truth. 
But we're talking about the honesty and the truthfulness in God, right? That's what he's talking about. Truth here stands in stark contrast to hypocrisy. I think hypocrisy makes God sick to his stomach. I think hypocrisy hurts God. We need to demonstrate truthfulness. He doesn't want us to be deceptive. He doesn't want us to behave falsely and claim Him like the world does. So when we look at these manifestations, again, goodness relates to us and each other. Righteousness relates to us and God. And truth deals with personal integrity. We have to have all of those. Those have to be characteristics. In all three manifestations of that, we call that the fruit of the Spirit. There are other things that Paul has talked about at other times, but those things can only be a part of the character of the changed. Paul speaks of the change found in the Christian. He speaks of the character that God expects from those who are changed. And finally, I want us to notice that he speaks of the commandments that must be followed when one is a Christian. There are certain things God has set forth that we must obey, that we have to follow along. We talked this morning in the Bible class about doctrine, and can we understand the doctrine the same? Of course we can. We're not talking about opinion. We're not talking about scruples. We're not talking about expediencies. We are talking about doctrine. And we have to be able to follow the commands of darkness, no, no, or doctrine. Notice first, Paul said we are to remove ourselves from sinfulness. Remember, we talked about going from what we were to what we are, and that happens in a moment in time. We could draw a line along a timeline, and we could say, okay, at this point, I was not a Christian. But at this point, I became a Christian because of the steps I followed, the godly works that God has demanded. Okay, remove yourself from sin. How did he state that? Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. That means we're not to partake, have anything to do with their sins. We are not to have anything to do with their sins, excuse me, even by association. So what does that mean? Well, when I walk in the grocery store, there's an aisle that you can go to that has beer in it and wine, right? That's the aisle that you kind of always try to avoid, but undoubtedly at times you find yourself having to cut through it. Is there anything wrong with cutting through it? No, not at all, but we don't like to be associated with that, right? So is that sinful? It's not what we're talking about. Paul said you can't get out of the world but don't behave like the world. When we're talking about sin by association, we're talking about someone who supports a sin, though they may not participate directly in that sin. We hear it from politicians all the time. I believe, I'm not for abortion personally, but I think it's everyone's right to choose. Well, that's sin by association. Romans 1.32, Paul talked about that. Not only are those who commit those sins, that litany of sins that he listed, but those who support them in it. If I support a sin and I help push it forward, I'm guilty of that sin. So have no uh, participation with the unfruitful works of darkness. And in fact, 
1 Thessalonians 5.22, Paul commanded the Christian to abstain from every kind of sin. Every kind of sin. Now, the, the King James Version says abstain from the appearance of sin, right? From every appearance. Now, maybe at the time that was written, that fit what the writer intended. But we can't say because it appears to be sinful that we can't do it because there are people in the world that believe that meeting on the first day of the week is sinful. There are Sabbatarians in the world that said you have to meet on Saturday. So if we're abstaining from the appearance of sin, well, whose appearance? According to who, right? So what Paul is talking about is every kind of sin. Don't participate in any sin. We can't have personal sins that we just can't stop doing because we'll lose our souls. Across the board, stop sinning. Get out of the sinning business. I remember when I was in school, Brother Curtis Cates would say, when you become a Christian, you get out of the sinning business. And I think that's a that's an apt uh, description, isn't it? We stop sinning. Someone says, well, how do you just stop? You know, there are things that it may take us a while to completely put behind us. But we have to stop that sin. Maybe someone comes up and they've had a terrible habit of using bad language. Well, that's a habit. That's what, that's all that is, is a habit. And so, you obey the gospel, what do you have to do? Stop using bad language, period. What happens when something happens and you get frustrated? And before you can stop yourself, you may say something you should not have said. So what do we do? We recognize that, we ask God to forgive us, and we continue to strive to stop doing it. But we can't say, well, I'm going to give myself so much uh, so many bad words I can say today. That's not what he's talking about. We have to stop sinning. And if when we slip up on occasion, we have to ask God to forgive us. Not only did the apostle command the Christian to be removed from sin, he commanded the Christian to reprove sin. Now that's a big statement, isn't it? That kind of goes back to sin by association, doesn't it? Let's get listen again to his words, Ephesians 5.11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. That means we are to expose the evil for what it is. We can't defend it. Have you ever done that? I've been guilty of that. Instead of just admitting the sin, you try to figure out a way to defend it. Because it's embarrassing, isn't it? humiliating at times. And who is it that likes to say I'm wrong? I don't know that any of us do. But we have to reprove it. We have to show sin for what it is. And that's what God expects, isn't it? When we're silent regarding sin, we are guilty of encouraging sin. We can't be silent, brethren. We have to encourage faithfulness. We can't promote it. Reproving carries with it the idea of correction, of discipline, and punishment. What do we do when we have our children? No one wants to have to punish a child or discipline a child, not anyone who has natural affection for that child. But what do we have to do when a child does something? We're training that child. We have to reprove them. We have to discipline them, right? And sometimes discipline carries with it different Types of punishment. We don't always have to spank a child. When 
uh, a grown person commits a crime in this world, we don't give everybody the death penalty, do we? No, certain crimes deserve certain punishments, but it all deserves discipline. And so we have to understand that. We confront sin by not tolerating it. We're not going to tolerate sin, right? That means there are times when we're to be very vocal and very specific about sin. That means sometimes we have to speak to someone face-to-face about sin. Sometimes that means that we have to acknowledge that we have sinned. And we may even have to do that in a public way, right? And so we are to tell people what the Bible says about any particular scenario. What does the Bible say about using drugs? Or or someone may say, well, what, what do you think about using drugs? It doesn't matter what I think. What does the Bible say about using illegal drugs? What does the Bible say about consuming alcohol? What does the Bible say about any number of sins? And it may not specifically mention that sin, but it it talks about a type of sin. And so we have to reprove that, right? Sometimes we do it in a in a more indirect way by refusing any participation in something of that regard. Some are selfish, but Christians are to be giving when we look at this difference, right? Are there any selfish people in the world? Absolutely. Christians are to be giving. We live in an opposite manner than those who disregard the Bible. Some people use bad language. Christians are to talk about godly things. Some live for themselves and the pleasures they can gain. Christians live for God and for their fellow man. We are to do the things that God wants us to do and to be that example. I think the balance of our passage here speaks to the shame of sin when we look at the last part of uh, Ephesians 5. And Paul tells us to take action. Expose sin with the light. Again, we go back to, to that flashlight, right? When it gets dark, we need a light and we appreciate that. The world is dark with sin. The vast majority of people in this world care nothing about God. The vast majority. And so we have to shine a light into the darkness so they might be able to find their way out. And that's what God expects. We have to take action, expose it. Hold the sin up to the Bible. Hold any action up to the Bible. We may not understand it's sinful. I spoke with a young man one time. I just obeyed the gospel and and he was talking to me and he misunderstood a few things in the Bible. And he said, well, what about social drinking? Is that is that wrong? Because I, I read where, where Christ turned water to wine at, at the wedding feast in Cana. I said, no, it's not alcoholic wine. If it had been alcoholic wine, and we need to be able to support our views, right, with with book, chapter, and verse. If it had been alcoholic wine, Christ would have sinned, according to Habakkuk 2.15. So he didn't make alcoholic wine, he made grape juice. And the word wine is very generic. It can mean the cluster of the grape, it can mean alcohol, or it can mean grape juice. It can mean the... uh, the, the jelly-like paste that they made to preserve it, and then they reconstituted it with water. All of that can mean wine, but he didn't understand that, right? And so sometimes we have to work through and understand, and so we have to put up our thinking up next to the Bible. He came around, he understood that, once I showed him what the Bible had to say about it. If the Bible promotes something, brethren, we ought to promote it. If the Bible condemns something, we ought to condemn it. And when we expose error, it might not be pleasing to those in the world around us. It's always pleasing to God. 
Jesus said this, Matthew 5, beginning with verse 14. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's a beautiful statement. It's a difficult statement sometimes to live up to. But it's a beautiful statement. It's not always popular, but it is always right. Let's consider the light. There was once a great fire in Edinburgh, Scotland, in which people hurried to exit the building, and and they were trying to get out through a passage that led to the street. They were almost to safety, and in that passage that led to the street, they could see a light shining in. And then all of a sudden, the fire got worse and, a, and smoke began to billow and it blocked their sight. That dark cloud came in and all they could see was blackness. So instead of continuing down that hallway, they got turned around and they went into a room that did not have an exit. They went into the room and they thought they'd found safety when all of a sudden, the room burst into flames, the whole building burned down and they lost their lives. Why? They lost the light. The darkness came in and snuffed out the light. They could not find their way to safety. That's what sin does. Sin comes into our lives. It snuffs out the light. We can't see sometimes our way clear to get out. And so we need help. We need to help each other and we need to encourage each other. The world needs the light God has blessed it with. And I think it is the responsibility of every Christian to shine that light into every place we have an opportunity. Let us seek to walk as children of light. Let's always live like we know from where we came. That's what God expects. If you've never obeyed the gospel, do that today. We talked about how to do it. Faith and repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living. Maybe you've gotten off track. uh, Paul in our passage says, if you're sinning, Change. If you become unfaithful, change. If you need to come back to God through repentance and confession and public prayer, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.